Great. Um, if you want to open your Bibles, or you can look up on a phone or device, uh, if you haven't been with us for a few weeks, we're in a series through 1 Peter, or your guests, first time with us, welcome. Um, we're going through the book of 1 Peter, and we've arrived at chapter 3. So we're going to read it together, and I'm going to attempt to unpack some things for us. Uh, anyone got a page number to help us out? 1219. You nearly got Pip there. It was close. <laughs> 12.19, here we go. First seven verses of 1 Peter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. There we go. That's what we're looking at tonight. Uh, now, you might, on a first reading, your takeaway might be um, wives, uh, submit, be quiet, take off your jewelry. You're the weaker ones. Now, uh, hopefully, that might not be your takeaway at the end. My challenge is to try and unpack that a little bit and leave everyone feeling edified and built up. But one of the great things about preaching through a whole book is you don't just skip over something. That's a bit tricky. We're going to skip over that one. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to take this on. So we're going to have a little look at it. And um, hopefully, some of what I share will be helpful to you. Uh, firstly, I want to say context is important. A man was looking into the Bible for some guidance. Not knowing where to look, he simply opened the Bible and read the first thing he saw and thought, I'm going to take this as God's guidance. He opens his Bible, and the first thing he reads is this. Judas went out and hanged himself. Not knowing what to make of that, he thinks, I'll, I'll try again. Open, turns to another page, points his finger down, and reads, go and do likewise. Completely baffled and really wanting some confirmation, he tries a third time and reads, whatever you're to do, do so quickly. <laughs> okay, context is important. This gentleman is not reading the Bible in context and finds himself in a dangerous situation. Now, understanding this passage in context can be helpful. The context of who it was written to in the first century, the context of the, of the letter of 1 Peter, which is helpful because many of us have kind of tracked that along, and pick up other themes, the context of the New Testament as a whole, and the context of the whole Bible. Let me firstly say, before we get into it, some things this passage is not, and some things it is. So a few things this passage is not. This passage is not an overall piece of teaching on marriage, and roles in marriage. It's, it just doesn't, it doesn't even claim to be a kind of thorough sweep of things. 
it's not also only useful if you're married or soon to be married. I think there's some principles here that are helpful for all of us, whether we're single or married. And it's just worth saying and kind of repeating, I guess, that we understand in the Bible that there is the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage. One isn't more worthy or valuable than the other. In our church, we really value single people and we really value married people. We hope you feel that and sense that as we travel through this passage today. It's also not the only thing the New Testament has to say on marriage, and we'll draw a few little things from other passages in the New Testament. What is it then? This passage is part of a letter to a particular group who were being called to live as God's holy people. As a minority group of believers, a little like ourselves, they were called to live in a way that people would see their good deeds and recognize their God. Chapter 2 and verse 12. It also kind of goes along with some of what Kem was saying last week. If you weren't here, you can listen to the um, message online. He was talking about how God had an ideal way for his people to conduct themselves in a not ideal or far from ideal situation. And that fits what's going on here as well. This passage is a response to people accusing God's people of living in a way that's wrong, chapter 2 and verse 12, and speaking maliciously about their behavior, chapter 3 and verse 16. And so what I want to do is I want to look a little bit more closely at some of the instructions that were given to the wives help us understand what it meant for them and maybe some things that uh, we can think about it for ourselves and then do the same with the husbands and then take away some thoughts that maybe we can apply and pray about together as well. So here are some instructions that you can see given to the wives. In the first couple of verses, uh, they're instructed to submit. Uh, In the next verses, three and four, there's a call to focus on inner beauty and then verse five and six to consider the example of Sarah. But before we look at that, let's just give a couple of things about the context. We've talked about how this letter was written to first century Christians who were living in an area which we think was roughly where Turkey is now. And some things about that Roman culture that are helpful for us to understand is that when men became Christians, like the Philippian jailer you can read about in Acts 16, normally what would happen is as the authority figure in their family. They would bring their family, including their wife, with them. They were the leader, and so their whole family would come and join the church with them. If a woman was to become a Christian before their husband, they would normally come on their own, and it would normally be quite hard work for them. That was part of the Roman culture, and that's because generally a husband or father figure had absolute authority over the members of their family. And so becoming a Christian for a woman was particularly problematic and could risk the relationships that they had in their family. And so what instructions then does Peter have for these women as he writes this letter? Let's unpack these three things. Submit, focus on inner beauty, and consider Sarah. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Submit, to be subject to their husbands. In a non-military use of this word, it can be defined as a voluntary attitude of giving in, of cooperating. Submission is also the attitude that we see Jesus exemplifies. 
in the way he made himself subject to the judge, as the end of chapter two taught us. And it's the same attitude that wives and husbands were called to follow in this letter. This instruction is particularly to the wives. It says, in the same way. When we hear that, see a phrase like, in the same way, in the same way as what? In the same way as Christians who were called to submit to authorities, as the previous chapter, verses 13 to 17, showed. Now, submission and obedience were not always the same thing. Peter, for example, he submitted to his arrest when he was arrested for continually sharing the gospel, but he didn't obey the authorities because even whilst he was in prison, he went on sharing this good news. In the same way as Christians were called to submit to authorities, in the same way as slaves were called to submit to their masters or workers are called to submit to their bosses, as verses 18 to 20 of chapter 2 say as well, and as the same way as Jesus himself chose to make himself subject to the judge by taking our place, verses 21 to 25 from the previous chapter. So when it says, in the same way, it's just mentioned those three examples. But here is the call for wives for submission. Perhaps submission should be defined as self-giving love rather than just recognition of status. Paul grants in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4, both husband and wife to have responsibility over one another. This headship language we see elsewhere in the Bible is less about hierarchy and power, but more about union and responsibility. Given the cultural context that I mentioned, one translation translates this verse, accept the authority of your husband. Now, the authority in that day was different to in our culture today. It's worth just saying that as we read this passage, there will be different readings of this passage in our congregation here and in our wider congregation. You can see this and hear this as you attend different people's weddings. Uh, Some people in their vows of weddings will choose to use the word submit and obey because we read them in passages like this and in passages like Ephesians 5. Others choose not to read them, not to include them. Uh, Maybe because they think that it's not helpful for others listening in. Maybe particularly non-Christians coming and listening in. What picture does that paint? Or maybe they want to kind of level them up. When we look at other passages in the Bible, like Ephesians 5, you see there is a call there for the wife to submit to the husband. But in the same passage, there's this picture of mutual submission within the church. And there's also a call for the husband to love the wife as Christ loved the church. Well, what was that like? It was selflessly, it was sacrificially. But here we have the call for Peter is making to the Christians in the first century for wives to submit to their husbands. Well, why was there this call for submission then? The goal of submission was to win their husbands to the Lord by unselfish action in a context where men were the authority figures in their family. Verses one and two continue. If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Some of the husbands of the wives were not believers, most likely because the wives had come to faith whilst already married. Something that was happening as the gospel spread it. 
Peter wasn't giving Christians the freedom to be joined to non-believers in marriage and contradicting Paul's teaching that we can read about in 1 Corinthians 7, but was teaching them how to live if this was, if this was the case. And for Peter, the way wives conducted themselves within their marriage has the potential to be a powerful witness, choosing to make themselves subject to their husbands. At the same time, the society that they lived in valued this sense of order within the household. And this pattern of living was a witness to the wider community as well. Not only were some of the husbands not believers, but it's very likely that they were quite hostile to their wives' newfound faith. And so Peter chooses not to recommend a special prayer technique, although prayer would be really helpful for them, not to recommend a great apologetics book to express the great reason, intelligence there is of the Christian faith. But the instruction he gives them is to submit, to selflessly cooperate with their husband. Not for the first time, this selfless, loving posture is highlighted as the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom within marriage for these believing women too. Behavior that was marked by purity and reverence. Purity in words and attitude, as well as in sexual relations and staying committed to their non-believing husbands. And reverence, perhaps firstly, to the God that they love and are following, but also to their husbands who were seen as the authority figures in society and in their homes. Submission then in a non-ideal first century context has been spelt out in relation to authorities and masters, exemplified by Jesus, and now the wives are charged with this way of life in relation to their husbands with Christian witness being the key aim here. The first instruction then was for them to submit. Then there's this call to focus on inner beauty. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Having praised the wife's purity and reverent way of living, Peter continues to highlight what really counts. Not the outward appearance of hairstyles, jewellery and clothes, but that of your inner self. Peter doesn't ban these things and say them bad, but he says it's not what defines your beauty. It's not where you get your value, where we should look for our attention. What counts in God's eyes and should in our eyes as well, is not outward appearance, but the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This is what counts for God. And I want to say this is one of the things we can pull out and say it's not just relevant for the women. Now, uh, this week, uh, many of you know I take great care in my appearance. And uh, this week I had a haircut. And I got some new shorts. And, um, and uh, I feel good. I do. I feel good. It's the first time I paid for a haircut in quite a number of years. And it can be very easy, can't it, to, um, to focus on outside, and, and there's nothing wrong with getting a lovely haircut like me and a nice new pair of shorts. But, but we, we can kind of get a sense of our worth 
and a sense of our value um, from our outward appearance. Very, very easy um, to do. And there's kind of a call here for the women not to be caught up in that. But we see that call actually is more of a general call across the Bible. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is King David when he gets called. Uh, Samuel the prophet is told to go to this guy's Jesse's house and one of his sons is going to be the new king. It's a story of great surprise if you haven't read it for the first time, uh, haven't read it before, because when, you, when Samuel the prophet goes to Jesse's house, Jesse reels off all his sons, the older ones, the taller ones, the stronger ones, and he goes through all of them till he says, well, haven't you got anyone left? He says, none of these, haven't got anyone left? And there's David, the one who's out in the field who no one's recognizing really, but the one who's got a worshipful heart before God. And it's him who's called. Uh, outward appearances, he was ruled out, but God was interested in his heart. Inner beauty and character was how these women were being called to share their faith amongst their non-believing husbands. There's this phrase, gentle and quiet spirit. In the context of one's conduct as Christians being criticized, Peter is calling his people not to be noticed for the wrong reasons. This quality is not only for women. Let me give you a couple of references from elsewhere in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 2, verse 2 says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4 11 says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. This is modeled by Jesus, who himself was described as gentle. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. Jesus started a revolution, really, didn't he? But he had a quiet, gentle manner about him at times as well. I wonder if you're thinking, what's your ambition this week? I'm going to lead a quiet life. Well, that's one of the things. The Bible calls us to do, not make a fuss when not needed, but still to be people that stand up for justice and peace, like our leader and saviour, Jesus, did. And then thirdly then, okay, we've looked at uh, this instruction to submit. We looked on this focus on inner beauty. And then there's the example of Sarah. Consider Sarah, Abraham's wife. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Consider the example then of Sarah. Sarah who left her family and home to follow God's call to Abraham. Sarah who on several occasions had heard Abraham saying what God had said to him. It's interesting to note that in their story, if you read through the whole story, there's also a couple of times when Abraham obeys Sarah. Now, uh, one of them at least, you would say, it doesn't, doesn't look well on Sarah when she convinces him to not try and have a child through herself, but with her slave servant. But there's another time when actually God says to listen to her in Genesis chapter 21. But here we have the example of Sarah, who did obey Abraham. She chose to make herself subject to him, to follow him, to allow him to take the lead. That word obey, kuros, is a term of respect that's also an affectionate term. It's not kind of a command militant term, but affectionate, respectful term. 
perhaps we don't use that word so much now. Maybe one of the reasons is because passages like this have been used really poorly and have been abused where women have been marginalized, have been disrespected, and have been treated poorly. But what this passage and example does highlight is that wives should treat their partners with respect and honor, as we see Sarah did. She followed her husband. So, what's the challenge for us here? Wives in the room, do we respect and honor and submit in the context of mutual submission to our husbands? For those with non-believing partners or husbands, do we see this as part of our witness to them by the way we live, choosing to make ourselves subject, choosing this selfless love? Do we see that as part of our witness and example? Hey, we're thinking, that's the stuff for the wives. What about the husbands? Okay, here we go then. Here's some instructions for the husbands. Be considerate, be respectful, and don't hinder your prayers. Let's unpack that a little bit. It starts off by saying, in the same way, which, as we'll recognize, we read that in verse 1, didn't we? In the same way, the spirit of these instructions is for both men and women, husbands and wives. The same posture of selfless love that is the mark of not only Christian marriage, but Christian community is pulled out. In the same way, the same type of way of living, the same posture, the instruction is to be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate. Consider one's thoughts and needs and likes And love languages, if you come across the love languages, it's the idea that we all give and receive love in different ways. There's five, there's physical touch and words of affirmation and gifts and quality time and acts of service. And there's this idea that you give love in, uh, in the way that you like to be loved. And so uh, my, my main way, I think, is acts of service. And so if I'm doing something for you, it means I love you, okay? Um, but that's not always the same with others. So like my wife, for example, her main way of uh, receiving uh, love is gifts. Uh, it says to be considerate. So if I'm being considerate, I should be considering her way of being loved, which I have to admit, when I get to this point in the talk, I think someone else should step up and carry on. I feel ill-qualified to do this. But here's the call to be considerate of others. In this context, it's talking about the wife. But we can definitely grab hold of that and broaden that out. Be considerate of our friends, our siblings, those in our family, our neighbors. This call to be considerate, to be selfless, to put others first. Be respectful and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and the heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. This call to respect wasn't a given in first century Roman culture where women were not valued in the same way they are today. Respect their opinions and thoughts, preferences, and their whole way of being. I was really encouraged to hear of a friend in their church and um, a lady had begun had begun to start visiting their church. And the thing that she commented on that she was most impressed by is she got, began to get to know people in their church community, just beginning to explore faith, was how all the husbands that she met seemed to really love and be considerate and respectful 
of their wives. And this was new and different from the culture that she came from. I was so pleased and encouraged to hear that. I hope someone would think that if they came along to our church as well. Now, you're hoping I'm not going to avoid the verse here. I'm not going to, okay? Here we go. It talks about um, the weaker partner or the weaker ones. Now, most commentators would agree that this is a, this is a reference to their physicality. You might be thinking, how many offensive comments or words can Peter get in this short passage? But this phrase is not to do with emotional or intelligence or spiritual strength, but the observation that women, to make a generalization, are biologically weaker than men. Perhaps this was even clearer in a culture where men did more of the labor and took more responsibility of legal things and of financial things. But just on the biological front, you don't need to do too much research just to accept the conclusion that as a generalization, men are physically stronger than women. A scientific study from my Google research this week found that women were approximately 52% as strong as men in the upper body and 66% as strong as women in the lower body. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a woman in the room who's stronger than me. It's just a generalization. There may well be a woman who's stronger than me in the room physically. But this reference here is to the physicality. He's not saying weaker to cause offense, but to help build his point here, that men, husbands in this example, should be considerate and respectful to their wives, doing things that maybe they can't do. In my life, that looks like reaching to a loft that others can't reach to, pulling down a tent that others can't carry, being considerate and respectful. Let's be clear then. He's not saying that women are weaker or lesser in general. Why do I say this? Not just to fit in with our cultural view today, but for at least two reasons. Firstly, if we go back to the beginning in Genesis, men and women are made in the image of God. Well, sometimes people say, what about Eve? It says she was made as Adam's helper. Well, maybe it changes it when we see that word helper is the same word that God uses to describe himself as the helper of Israel. We wouldn't say God is any less or weaker than Israel would be. The story at the beginning is of men and women both made in the image of God. And in context, in our passage, there's a hint at this value as well. Straight after it says, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Heirs with you, not secondary heirs or heirs because they're married to you, but equal heirs. In a culture where men inherited almost everything of their father's possessions, Peter calls the wives heirs too, giving them equal value and status before God. Well, what are they heirs of? This gracious gift of life. Life that's found only by faith in Jesus. Husbands, be considerate. Be respectful. And don't hinder your prayers so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This passage ends with a warning, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, how could not being considerate and not being respectful, not playing our role properly, end up with us having our prayers hindered? Well, here's just a few suggestions. When we're not respectful, when we're not considerate, it's a sin. And sin separates us from God and makes it hard for us to have a living relationship with God. Thanks be to Jesus who came and has dealt with that. On a practical level, 
I don't know if you've ever had a falling out with a partner or a friend, but for me, uh, there has been many a time over the last nine and a half years where I have been inconsiderate and I have been disrespectful and there's been a lively discussion in our home. <laughs> and um, actually, I can't, I can't really pray when I've offended my wife. I, 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 could, I try and I just feel like I need to go and make it right. And so it, it does emotionally, spiritually hinder my prayers when I've been inconsiderate and disrespectful. Why else does it hinder our prayers? Well, Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And part of our forgiveness in Christ is tied up in forgiving and asking for forgiveness from one another. I think there's power in praying together, in marriages, in friendships, in church life. And I think the devil doesn't like it when we do. And so he would seek to find a way to get in to disrupt and to cause trouble. And so Peter finishes this passage with a warning that nothing will hinder your prayers. There's some instructions to some wives in this passage, some to some husbands. What about our takeaway? Here's some suggestions on some things that we could take away. There's this example for the wives who maybe it wasn't appropriate or easy or possible for them to share their faith with their words. There's this example of how they can allow their lifestyles to be a witness for them. I wonder if there's people in your lives who you'd love to be able to reach out to, but you don't actually feel it's easy or possible to use your words. Maybe alongside these wives living among husbands who it wasn't easy to share their faith with, we need to hear the fresh challenge and encouragement to let our lives shine and point towards Jesus and his love. We don't often highlight things like this. As I was reading this and praying for us as a church, it's a great opportunity for us to be able to pray for those going alone with their faith in their family. Uh, Maybe you're here and your husband or your partner or your children or your wider family aren't Christians and you feel a little bit like you're going it alone. Well, we'd love to pray with you tonight. We'd love to take the opportunity to say, we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We recognize that it can't be easy and we want to stand with you and pray with you. Maybe there's a bit of a challenge for those of us in the room that are married. Uh, What's our personal response as we hear this again to our role? following the example of Christ in the same way? What is, our, what is our responsibility? What is our response again? To be committed to doing our best in those relationships. And knowing that alongside singleness, marriage is a gift from God, maybe is a chance for us again to pray for the strengthening of the marriages represented in our church, represented in our wider families, with our friends, and in our wider community. Some possible takeaways then. Allow our lifestyles to be a witness on our front line. To pray for those who are going it alone in their families, maybe that's you. To personally respond uh, in our own roles and to pray for the marriages in the life of our church and wider community as well. I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes for a minute and just take a minute to think, what's, what's your takeaway? What's your response? What's your prayerful response in this moment? just leaving your eyes closed, maybe just picture the places you're going to be this week where you're going to be in and amongst people who don't know Jesus and you'd long for them to know him. And maybe it's not always hard. Maybe it's not always easy to find the time, opportunity, moments, courage to share words. 
And Lord, may you help us by choosing to become subject, choosing to become selfless. May you help us by our lifestyles to point to you, to live in a way where people might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. We thank you that we can know the help of the Holy Spirit in doing this. And maybe it resonates with you, the idea of going it alone in your family life as a Christian. And we want to pray for you. May God give you courage and strength. May may God allow your lifestyle and your light to shine among your family's life. And may God bring your family to know him and his love and his salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.